Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. The podcast that talks to content creators about their journey, about the lessons learned, about their processes and about the advice they would give to those who want to be content creators themselves. You may be experienced or you may be yet to hit publish or record, but I guarantee you there will be loads of insights and takeaways for you to think about. In today's episode, I talk to former 10Q guest, Mr. Danny Denhard. Danny is sharing his expertise and knowledge around the subject of newsletters, of which he has a couple. And trust me when I tell you, they are both very, very good. So he knows what he's talking about. If this is your first time here, I wish you a very, very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm sure you're going to. If you do, let me know your favorite bit on social media, at 10Q Interview, everywhere you may look. And don't forget to hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening to this, or watching it for that matter now. It would mean the world to me, and Danny, I'm sure, if you share this episode far and wide. There is probably at least one person you'll think of when listening who would benefit from also hearing it. So if you know that person who either has a newsletter already or is looking to start one, make sure to let them know. Anyway, enough from me. Now, on to the podcast. Mr. Danny Denhard, a very, very warm welcome to 10Q Interview. Uh, you are the first guest so far to have a second appearance and... Uh, I could think of no one better to be the first person to do that. So congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I feel very honored. So as you know, this podcast is about content creators and the journey they've gone on, their learnings. And hopefully, you know, we can inspire and educate the next uh, band of content creators to come through. I'm going to talk to you today mainly about newsletters. As I've mentioned to you before, one of my favorite newsletters of the week is I guess the aptly named must read newsletter that you put out on a Friday morning. And I'm not just saying this because you're on here. I've said this to you before prior to recording that it is one of the very few that gets read pretty quickly after arrival. So let's talk about newsletters. Why have you gone down this route? How did you get started? Uh, well, thanks very much for the kind compliment. Uh, just to share some uh, insights Chris shared something years ago on Twitter about must reads and it's in my hype file so I, I'll dive into <laughs> hype file and why anyone should keep one as a as a creator but um, Do you know it's weird you say that that's the third time in the last couple of weeks I've heard people talk about hype files hype files and swipe files very quickly hypes hype file is where someone hypes you up or gives you good gives you a compliment or or gives you like a prop or uh, gives you a shout out, save them in notes or docs or whatever uh, works for you. And when you've had like a low moment, they're brilliant pick-me-ups. Uh, and a swipe yeah. file is when someone else does something brilliant. Uh, it's called swipe because you copy it, basically. And your swipe file Inspired will help you. Inspired by when, it, Danny, not copied. Yeah. <laughs> well, keep, kill, cure, copy, cure, etc. right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you're you're actually one of the highest up on the, the hype file. So, thank you very much. Oh. Uh, to answer your question, um, to so the audience don't feel like it's just mates chatting, um, <laughs> I wanted to, basically I wanted to be a journalist, um, and I love the art of cr creating and curating. So I love the idea of of creating stuff, but I also am aware there's people that can write things much better than I can, or produce content, whether that's video, audio, etc., much better than I can. But yeah. I can curate that as opposed to um, just having to create it. So I had an experience in, within a local newspaper and a newsroom, and the local paper put me off, uh, and a large newsroom also didn't, 
didn't have uh, great ripples <laughs> on me. So uh, I decided years ago that when I used to blog a lot, man, because that's what you used to do, um, and I still blog fairly regularly, I thought it would be great just to share the content. So um, Must Read sort of came out of an internal newsletter I used to do. So wherever I work, I created an internal newsletter, basically an email that I'd send around to either the agency that I worked in or a company that I worked in to share knowledge. Yep. So I'm all self-taught. So to give people some context, because I was always self-taught, I didn't go to university, etc. I, For me to know that I understand the subject, I have to teach people. So very yep. often it's either in an email, a Slack, a WhatsApp, or whatever else. So... Um, I used to put together an email and share it out once a week and it was sharing knowledge or insights into the business other people didn't know. And some people can do it with share of voice. I was doing it what other people said until I became comfortable in, in sharing stuff that I knew or insights that I found. So oddly enough, I used to track all the clicks because of my growth marketing <laughs> and product background with my oh. own custom URL shortener built on Bitly when it was popular and it got shared within the, like the leadership team with one of the, the companies I worked at. And okay. someone basically said to me, and I've, I've got it in the hype file, said that they spent their Saturday mornings with a coffee basically reading it. And uh, the aha moment for me was when someone externally to the company wanted to know how they could get on the distribution list. So it was oh, forwarded wow. on. And then the light bulb went off and I was like, why do I do this just internally if what, it's not internally this? sensitive data? This was circa 2010 maybe so that is a long time before newsletters are as what we know them as now right yeah so must reads has been going formally as in like externally since 2015 really uh, and i could dive into all the different formats and that yeah so 2015 it was on medium when it first came sort of out and became popular and i used to just to to post it on there and it, the format's changed and uh, and the substance has changed but uh, i knew when it was on going on to medium from dropbox paper it had to be polished on medium whereas on dropbox paper people would log on and just see me um updating it all the time so it's yeah. like real time as and then I'd, I'd tweet it out and when tweets weren't uh when you weren't throttled on external links and you'd see like a hundred plus people go on it, and I was amazed. So it continued, and I moved it to Medium, and uh, then I moved it from Google Docs as well. That I had it on at some point. I moved to Substack, and then over to Beehive more recently. Quite the journey. And that's just one of the newsletters. I've got the other side, which is Leaders Letters. Um, it's a bit more which niche. Which is the leadership newsletter? Yeah. Yeah. So on must reads then, so you mentioned then about con uh, creation versus curation. I think it's obviously worth saying to the audience for anyone who doesn't know you that, and again, jump in if I'm wrong, but I mean, creation is a very time consuming process for a newsletter, whereas curation, whilst it's not a piece of cake, it's a lot quicker, right? And must reads is a, uh, an add on to your, you know, it's not the only thing you're doing, right? You're running your own business and consulting and, and what have you. So it's like, it's an addition is that how much of putting out must reads is to support that? I mean, I don't know if we're going to talk about that later in the monetization section, but I guess I was trying to get a bit of an understanding about the creation versus curation for anyone who's listening. Why you decided on that? Was it was it purely a time thing? 
Yeah, so something I, I realized was there's a lot of people creating blogs. Yeah. There's a lot of people creating YouTube and uh, and podcasts and audio. Uh, but one what people weren't doing as much back then and sort of even to this day, they're not curating, so they're not handpicking really interesting articles or podcasts or YouTubes that people should really pay attention to. Yeah. And so basically if I quick pitch is uh, Mushreads is the weekly newsletter informing you of the important themes impacting the future in under five minutes. So it's basically trying to give you the lowdown in five minutes every week. And it's in delivered what, in to you every in Friday what sector? morning. So it's broad. So it's deliberately broad. Okay. So it can help anyone from like a CEO of a business to a, a co-founder of a business to, you know, like a product lead or a, a product manager. And it could go all the way to someone who's just really interested in uh, like blockchain or something and it would just say why that's why it's an interesting topic or why it's something bigger than a trend so yeah. a trend can come and go within like an hour now or 12 hours whereas a theme is something that's going to last for you know one year two year three year five years and i yeah. try and concentrate and explain why it's a theme and why it's important it's going to impact the future but must reads takes between seven and ten hours a week to create because I have to consume all the information, then to add my analysis and commentary, and then and then obviously schedule it out. So it seems like it would take an hour to most people, but it takes hours to consume it, condense it down, and then make it shareable within a format that people. It won't take them hours to sit there at the weekend or on Friday mornings to no. to do. But I do, you know, great bits of feedback I've had is they wish they had a the whole day to consume the information. So. I know that that's an important side of of what Mushreads does for other people, whereas for me it's just condensing what I've learned in in under five, you know, in something digestible in five minutes for people to to enjoy. So hopefully. You know, I, I'd never really thought about it from the creation perspective, as in the sense of whatever makes it into the final edit. There's probably about I don't know. There's probably about ten percent of the content you consume to get there, and actually then. Yeah, I mean, it must take ages to, or the stuff to. <clears throat> I mean, I could we'll probably talk about the, like the ideation and the brainstorming. I guess maybe from a curation perspective, is a little bit different, maybe. But what's um, is it a case of you see something and you go right, that's it, I like that, that's going in, or you stick it in a folder, or is it a case of you go hunting for things, or a bit of both? If I was, I, I can, I'll break down my process if if it i think it'll be helpful to people it might seem okay. overkill but uh, i do like daily checks of what i call my my stack is so yeah. i've got um so basically i have twitter feeds and and lists that have been curated for for years so i've got right. a list for all different types and they're typically private i then have a curated linkedin so FYI, be really ruthless. I've got around, I think it's 8,000 connections on there. But just unfollow people when it, obviously they, sh- they share stuff or they're overly engaged on it. Yeah. Then I have, a, I have up to 50 different newsletters that I'm signed up for. And some of those are daily. So that's a lot of emails to consume and, and go through. As I said, because I'm self-taught, I have to consume a lot of information to to take it in to understand it to have an output that's kind of useful to other people. Yeah. Then I still use RSS, so I still use I've used Feedly, so I've still got a load of sites that I take their RSS feed and, and pump into that. 
and I check that every few days. And then some apps that I use. So I use uh, Yahoo Finance app, which is a bit niche, but um, it's really underrated for quality because yeah. they have to they have to be quite sensitive and uh, direct around the the information because a lot of it's financial, so yeah. they have to be quite accurate. I'm testing out Artifact, which is a um, app that the Instagram co-founders have released recently. Um, I think I'm on like day 36 streak, which means I use it every day, basically. Oh, you shared you shared with me, didn't you, the podcast of the when he's talking about that. I listened to that the other day. And it's smart and it's good and it's AI driven. So the more inputs you give it, the better the output is, the better the recommendations are. So yeah. I could probably now do it all based on, on the recommendations on Artifact, but because I've still got my stack, it's still important because otherwise you have to pump in all of your news outlets. Yeah. And then, um, you know, LinkedIn news is really good for discussion. So there might be, I often share someone's LinkedIn update or like a, a thread that someone's done on LinkedIn because actually that's where you get the true insights and people yeah. talk out. And then I've got, there's a site called BizTalk, which is really good for, for company news and corporate news. But then the secret sources, I've got a lot of people like yourself who send me stuff on WhatsApp, uh, iMessage, DMs. Uh, and my girlfriend's notorious for sending me numerous links and TikToks. And she said, this is for must reads or you know, <laughs> you'll love this or have you seen this about Tim Cook, et cetera. So uh, that will fit really well for leaders. Letters. So I'm I'm really good that I've got this really um, good sort of pipeline of, of information and, and shares and links to, to consume. But podcasts are my, are my thing. So I love podcasts. I listen to hours and hours of it. I call it super ear. So I listen to way over 10 hours of podcasts a week. So uh, I Do love speed up podcast insurance. Yeah, I'm a 1.25 person, yeah. Oh, yeah. More recently. Yeah. I, yeah, I've never been a, I've never been a speed up. And then I was one of my own, weirdly. It was, I had a, a guest recently who wanted some edits done. And I'd already listened to it twice. I was like, oh, my God. I, and it was a long, particularly long one as well. It was like nearly two hours. It was the first time I've ever listened to it. I listened to it at one point four, and it's amazing how different it sounds. It's like yeah. two cartoon characters, but actually, once you get past that, you do can consume it kind of um, quite well. A tip that I like to give people is if you prefer um, two sets of inputs, so visual and audio, like if you like YouTube over podcasts, and they they have the vodcast up, put it at one point two five because it takes out all the weird weird nuance silences and the the, right. the um it gets you can concentrate far more on the audio as opposed to the visual input and although that sounds counterproductive humans are much better with one input than two so i find actually that even if they show something on screen you can actually what you can you can uh, digest it far far more uh, okay. far more quickly and and it almost makes a little bit more sense um because I use Pocket Casts uh, as a podcast app and it takes out all the, the silences. So unless you listen to something like a true crime podcast, it's much better and you, you get to the information far quicker. Interesting. I didn't know that. Pocket Cast, does, does it do that automatically? or have you, have you yeah, you can set, yeah, you can change the settings. So you, you can just go in and, and turn up or turn down according to what your preference is. You might have just inadvertently answered a strange question that we couldn't work out, me, my editor and me, a little while ago. She was sending me 
sending me podcasts that she'd done and I listened to them in, in pocket casts strangely as a file because it's one of the few um, podcast apps where you can download files and listen to them locally I couldn't work out why they kept changing in length mm. and I was like what have you changed she's like nothing but maybe that's why maybe it's to do with the silences being cut out I imagine so yeah just solved the mystery um I mean we've kind of just skipped the question you're talking about your system and process what um is there anything you want to cover from the brainstorming ideation process? I guess you kind of covered it a bit. And I guess from a curation perspective, it might be a little bit different. But was there anything when, when I sent the questions through that you immediately thought of that was worth um, sharing from that angle? Yeah, so the tools I think are important. So I use Git Pocket or Pocket, which is um, gitpocket.com. And I save, yeah. all, I save all the articles in there and read it in there because it often takes away a lot of the ads and spacing. Yeah, and then I can filter through. So, for instance, I use Beehive, which is a relatively new tool. Uh, Tyler and the team are really good at at shipping product releases. So, I actually create, curate, and create within Beehive. So, unlike other newsletters, I do I do it directly in there as opposed to on Google Docs. But basically, I'm I'm a dyslexic, so I have dyslexia, and a lot of the time I need it for spelling check and, and grammatical errors and it helps yeah. me with it. So these extensions are really important to me. So I've completely optimized my stack. Um, so going through it and the process is really different to how I would go through. So sometimes, because I, I sometimes even start on a Friday, so the newsletters go out at 7.30 every Friday morning yeah, and I can instantly start the next week's newsletter because there might be something that's come through in the morning or overnight that has to go in next week's. But what that does do is it things go on the chopping room floor. So I try and only stick to like 10 links a week. Yeah. Um, but we go into the reason why it's 10 and click through rate and clicks to open, etc. Um, but yeah, because it, it take, I do it every day for the week. Sometimes things get removed or, an update's happened, which makes the, the story none and void. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting process. Some people think I'm mad for doing it the way I do, but it's the process I've, I've settled with and it's the most optimum I can, I can, I feel like it's getting the optimal out of the newsletter. Whereas, Go on. Uh, leaders that is very different. So I write a long list of topics and, and try and connect it with uh, culture, company uh, company culture strategy or or uh the directions the companies are going so i have a list of yep. problems the problem areas and then things that some people are never taught i try and help people understand so strategy is one that people always think everyone's got a strategy they don't it should be one company strategy then it should be like the departmental plans team plans and then the tactics so yep. I try and break that down for people for instance and um I can write the newsletter in minutes. Sometimes it comes to me and I've, I'll knock it together really quickly and then schedule and it's almost done. Whereas some of those can actually take four four hours. But for instance, I write a lot of it in Apple Notes because I'm, when I'm walking my dog or on a walk, I'll, something will come to me and, and I'll make notes. Then I shift it to yep. Google Docs. Then I pull it into WordPress and then I pull it into Substack and schedule and send. So I'm usually a couple of weeks before, um, it's a couple of weeks ahead, but it gives you the two sides of the different newsletters that I have and the two processes. Well, that's, that's what I was saying, right? The, the creation and the curation is, is two totally different beasts. 
100%. And for those we didn't really talk about uh, leaders let as much, do you want to give a quick elevator pitch on what that is? Yeah, so it's your weekly newsletter for for leadership. So it's helping you to improve your leadership one action at a time. So it's okay. weekly, so it gets delivered every Friday morning. So it should be hopefully the, an interesting thing in your inbox at 7.30 on Monday mornings. Do you find, I mean, they're very different, right? One's a bit more niche, one's a bit more, um, or a lot broader, I guess. Does, does your thoughts about them because of that vary, change? I'd say they both inform each other. So, okay. for instance, uh, there's a there's a video I'm putting in this week's, which is on quantum computing, and that's in um, must reads. Okay. Because of the movement that we're all going towards within AI and and having to have break things more quickly, so we're going to need to have more powerful computers. Interestingly, right. that then plays into leaders' letters because what a lot of companies have done is they've dived into AI or chat GPT or, or open uh, AI, they've dived into it and they forced it early as opposed to yep. un- really understanding the use case, why they're applicable. So I'm writing, at the moment, I'm writing a newsletter, which is I've been trying to complete for, say, 10 weeks, and it's okay. around AI and leadership. And because it's changing, it's a rapidly changing space. This quantum uh, computing has really helped me understand the concepts behind it and how leadership is connected to it and how leaders are making bad decisions or potentially bad decisions based on misunderstanding what they need to do or, or a fear of missing out. Yeah. So the two do go hand in hand. So I can curate on one side and then create, be inspired and create on, a, on the other. Yeah. But if I had to, you know, if I was doing one, then I probably wouldn't be as informed if I didn't do must reads and just did leaders. Letters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about your goals from your newsletters. I'm kind of curious what they are. For me, it's very different to what other people's would potentially be. So okay. leaders letters, because it's part of my company called focus, it's ultimately lead gen. So yeah. I'm helping people. So I'm a coach and advisor and consultant that helps in, company strategy um, company culture and in other connecting areas. So when I advise companies like startups, for instance, it's very often about lead gen. So people come to me with a problem or they say, Hey, we've got this co- company culture issue. Can you come in and help us? And yeah. leaders that has done that. And that's ultimately the, you know, the, the top goal for me. And whereas other people and newsletters, and if they're in a content team, would probably just look for sponsorship or, or traffic or yep. additional reads. For me, it's lead gen. Whereas on must reads, the goals for me are very much getting in front of the brands that, I'd, that I want to work with. Okay. So I want to connect with and that will connect well with my audience. So that, you know, that's some version of monetization. And I think that's one thing that we'll probably love to dive into. But for me, and the way that it works is, you know, I can have sponsors that can sponsor placement or I can sponsor, you know, certain bespoke deals. Yeah. Or for me, like monetization can also mean that there could be a new platform that could help me gain more tips. So I get paid from the newsletter. People tip me and 
Chris, thankfully, you've tipped me before. Um, <laughs> and But it's a micro payment for me, for people to say thank you, whereas yep. sponsorship isn't scalable. And as you know, I, I advise and consult, it's not as easy to concentrate on the growth side of it and get in front of millions of people. For me, the way that I my goal is to get people to give me tips to say thanks for helping them and in and around christmas is the most popular time for me to to get people buy buy using buy me a coffee that's interesting i didn't know you were going to say that because i so i did buy your coffee the other week and the reason i did that was because i thought to myself i was just sitting there reading read it one friday morning and the day before, we'd been having a conversation, me, me and my wife, about magazines and stuff, about how I used to, like, I can't remember what it was. We bought my daughter a magazine. It's like seven quid or something crazy. And it went on this whole conversation about magazines. And then I was, then I was like, like you, I, I subscribe to a lot of newsletters. And I was trying to find a balance between why I feel like I can read a newsletter for free, but I would go and pay whatever for a magazine. And I sort of had this guilt thing about, oh, I want to buy Danny a coffee. But I wasn't expecting you to say that. I I thought you were going to say something. I know it's it's on the end of my newsletter, but actually not many people do it. And it's just a sort of a a thing. But I wonder why we're not doing that more for our creators. Two sides. One is that I don't put it in every newsletter. So I don't want... I know that everyone gets fatigue and having worked and run a crowdfunding platform, there's nothing worse than what I call ask fatigue. You're asked to do so many different things. You're asked to be given to be, you know, sponsored essentially be asked to be supported numerous times a day. Like not only from the the creators that you support and you read or you watch their YouTube by uh, different artists or etc that are trying to give music away for free you don't pay for it but you buy their merch etc mm. but you're asked to to give money all the time and i know that that there's a finite amount of times you can do that whereas uh, for me it's a case of i do do it and i share a lot of my expertise a lot so i, yeah. I pull it in periodically you, i could probably go through and, and count the times i've done it so it's probably only been probably 20 out of 259 must-reads that I've done that. However, I think that we've got so used to free content, consuming so much content, we've got, we're overloaded with content. And actually, yep. one of the points of why I use it, I'm a, a creator, a curator of newsletters is because I think it's an honor to land in someone's inbox that would want to spend five minutes on my content. And I think some creators think that way and others don't. But I mm. think it's an honour that someone would see me and and look out and and read read something I've put together and spent you know hours on, which most YouTubers do because it takes hours to to edit. Yeah. But the whole way of tipping is kind of gone. It started to line up into probably where it should have done, and I think it's lent back on because of the macroeconomic situation we're in. But I do think the younger audience with skins and NFTs etc are used to tipping. Whereas I think the older generation aren't because you're not a named brand or you're not a magazine or you're yeah. used to having, you know, every newspaper and every magazine for free for so long. Now people are wondering, hang on a minute, why, why would I have to pay for content now? It's on the internet. It should be free. 
Well, you say that, but you, you know, newspapers you do pay for, and then the newspapers pay the journalists, and it's it's a similar it's a similar concept, right? Uh, I just wonder where we go. I mean, what's your views on the sort of the paid subscription models and stuff for newsletters? Right, well, personally, I think so. There are loads of different ways, right? To to monetize your audience and monetize yeah. the people that that invest their time into you and, and connect to you. So for me, it makes perfect sense. You have to choose as a creator. You have to choose whether creating content is a free activity, it's a freemium activity, it's a premium activity or more, right? Yeah. So you have to work out how you're going to monetize your audience in a way. So what most people, most creators go through is and having studied a lot and I've got a load of tips if anyone wants them and I probably share them towards the end is I think what a lot of creators have to to go through is working out how to monetize and which one makes most sense and yeah. how they can do it quickly so you know I've worked in on the pricing side in a few businesses and do consultancy on pricing and funny enough it's really it's the most it's the hardest projects that you ever work on because you have to work out what you're worth yeah. And creators, if they say, for instance, it's £10 a month, that only works at scale. Whereas if only one of 100 will pay for it, that's only, say, £10 or $10. Yeah. So to make it worth your time or make it worth it, if it isn't a pa- passion project, is really tough. And yeah. I'm not advocating for it. You should pay for every piece of content. But there are really important pieces of content you should probably pay for. And that it's really difficult if you started out for free is to then monetize it or if you've monetized it and then open something <coughs> for free. So the best model is the Ben Thompson strategy model, which has now been replicated on Substack and Beehive and a load of the platforms. But creators having to work out what they're worth and if they're not bundled with something else, they then compete against Netflix, they compete against you know any of the streaming that- services. That's what I was just going to say, that should the owners be on the consumers of the content to actually put their hands in their pockets a bit more? Like, for example, I was, I was just going to say the same thing you just said. Like, for instance, I will pay my Netflix bill every every month. I will pay my, my, um, uh, my Disney bill. I will pay my... Uh, whatever other subscription I've Sky got. Sports, Amazon Prime. BT Sports. Sky yeah. Sports. Virgin Media. And as much as it annoys me paying those bills, I do it without a second thought. Yet, likewise, I mean, I've, I've got YouTube Premium, I guess, for consuming that. Can, but this is what I was trying to say right earlier, like when I bought you that coffee, because I was like, I, I will consume your newsletter, and I have done for a long time, and I've never paid for it. And I know that your expectation is not of that. But I'm wondering if the owner should be more on the consumers to say, oh, hold on a second, am I getting value out of this am i enjoying it why shouldn't i put a couple of quid in every now and again i think that there's the the people who are conscious of of it so that they understand that they're creating that the hours it takes to create something and then there are people that receive in the format they receive it in so if it's youtube it's typically for free on newsletters it's typically for free so i think unless they've signed up and and known that there's a price to be paid or like a value exchange then most people think it's think it's like a free service yeah so 
you know, there's a there's a whole school of thought about how you would op- how you could optimize and price in around around it. And one of the schools of thought at the moment is bundling. So creators going in under a bundle, and then you paying less, slightly less than you would if they're all individual. But the value of that bundle is only as good as the the value exchange, not the price that you paid at the value you get from it. And if you're not bundled with things that are either super relevant or completely tailored to your interests, it's very difficult for you to say that's worth that money. Do you think, it kind of seems to me, and I don't know, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but it's 2023 and it still seems like monetization of content is almost a bit of a dirty word. It's almost like people do expect it to be free. Or, you know, um, or they'll moan about the amount of adverts that are put on it or sponsorship or, I mean, you see it all the time, like on on podcasts and they're like, oh, sell out. I, I see it on social media often. So like, well, hold on a second. Like, you know, people have got to get paid. But it seems like it's strange that as, as the creator economy has grown so much and at the point where it is now, is like the fact that monetization is still almost a bit of a taboo subject. Yeah, it is. So the the way that I see it is, if your people have been been given the opportunity to use products, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, yeah. etc., for free, but they don't realize they're the product. So they don't realize yeah. everything that you do is enhancing their product, and also they can charge based on you. So they could charge at targeting you. So I think there's still a bit of a, uh, a misunderstanding of that ex- that that value exchange, yeah. Because they are flooded with content and content that's relevant to you. So people are gobsmacked that TikTok get them within. You know, I think their objective is five videos, or seven probably. Um, I think it's five, but yeah, it's the interest graph. So it's the entertainment graph. So as soon as they can get what you're in- entertained by they've hooked you in and then they can then sell ads on top. I think the problem with creators and curators, especially creators that are publishing on, on YouTube and it's coming through email, they're used to that being free. Mm. So the value exchange there is, well, it's coming on, it's on a free platform. Why should I be paying for it? So I think the tipping model, tip jar model is an interesting one because it can work for a lot of people. Other people monetize by merch but you have to have a big audience to to really sell. And then you have the other side of it, which is ads plus, which is they serve you ads within their newsletter. And then yeah. to remove them, you pay to basically remove the ads or be ad targeted. And then there's that full subscriptions, which are, you know, monthly or whatever. And everyone talks around micropayments, but no one's ever got that to work, like at scale, cool. especially media. So moving forward, I, I think that it's, people have undervalued creators, but there are so many for you to have that brand resonance, the the brand affinity. You know, I've been doing it for 10 years, really. For people to, I still find it amazing that so many people open it every week. Mm. But I know that I'm conscious they're doing it for free, but there has been leads, there has been, you know, I've done consultancy based on something I've said in one newsletter. So something, um, I'll give you an example for the for the listeners and the viewers on YouTube, is there's an article that I wrote, it's called Superfans, and it's basically saying that creators have this power over a set number of people, yeah. and these superfans will pay for everything. 
so they pay for people to they pay for them to go on a trip or they'd pay for them to create more content or to start a youtube channel or go onto patreon etc but yep. there's these super fans become this like machine and what they do is they they promote your your content they'll listen to your your content or your music or your videos or your newsletters and they'll, they'll share it with everyone and they'll find a tribe and it gets yep. bigger and bigger and bigger and that article has got me two or three different advisory clients or cons- you know consultancy clients but I put that out because of something I saw a trend happening, like a, a, a theme happening on the internet. Yeah. But I was fully aware that I don't have a big enough audience for any of the other monetization, but I might have say a hundred people a week that read everything that I write. Might not click yeah. on the, the uh, links that I share, but they love my analysis. But they're like, I'm not saying I've got super fans, but they're the super fans. And they're no, the ones you that have, would support To a certain degree to. In, in that script, you have got a super fan, right? I mean, whether it's as many as a rock rock group is not the same thing, but it's, it's about growing that super fan base. Was um, I think I've got it somewhere, but if not, make sure you li- give me the link to that and I'll share it in the show notes so everyone can have a read. I think I, I've right, read well. it and it is, it is interesting. Um, we kind of segue nicely onto a bit about audience engagement. And you mentioned it a little bit before about people sharing um, ideas with you. But I guess audience engagement, I put this question in because I'm kind of curious how people uh, react to it and whether or not they do it. Like, for instance, you'll see a lot about um, there's certain creators out there who do not read the comments because of Mm. trolls or because of negativity or whatever it is. I just wonder what your view was. I guess it's not... um, like, do you do it? Do you engage with your audience? For me, there's no. There's one of the reasons I do it is to is to get feedback and and engagement. So I actively okay. encourage it. Um. So I have like a bias for better. So like I always want to get it better. So right. it's not always doing more, but I want to optimize or improve what I'm doing. So whether that's the writing, the content selection, or or the creation. So I've had feedback on WhatsApp telegram email which is often the most personal because they hit reply and they can copy something that that they love or 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 don't love Uh, and i've had it through you know twitter linkedin dms on instagram i've had someone um go across on both accounts just to try and say how much they they loved a a bit of analysis that i did Um, and and one of them around how i explained strategy got shared because in my analytics i could see it being shared on teams and they okay. shared it and they worked for a really big company so it got shared on teams in like one of the main groups so it was like this flood of of traffic that came in and then i got feedback off a wider audience that would never have seen my newsletter otherwise and that's all because i engaged with them and i want to have that feedback whereas um, my girlfriend she uh, used to do YouTube and you know she's more of a like an entrepreneur really now but yep. she used to get the other side of it which is the trolling side which people would t- you know would say something around your appearance or they'd pick up on an accent that you had and I've had you know I, I have had trolls so I've had the odd ones on Twitter DMs and you know I've had people do the uh, passive aggressive you know rating my newsletter as a one not a five <laughs> and stuff like that and you you realize actually in the, in the more of the creator space 
it's kind of part and parcel. But yeah, if I'm not at that scale where I I get a lot of negative feedback, but I have had it and I've I've have received some when I was speaking at a conference about about it. So there are there are both sides, and there for all of the negative, there are many positives as well. But if I think once you hit a certain scale, say I know north of ten thousand subscribers you probably don't want to dive into the the comments or look at your which is a shame really right because i think we both we both know the benefit of i guess positive audience engagement positive feedback i don't mean positive as in blowing smoke up your backside but i mean like positive as in constructive criticism maybe um but it's strange isn't it it's a shame that once you get to a certain level it's not manageable anymore yeah. Why did why it, why did they rate your newsletter a one out of ten? So my <laughs> newsletter my my newsletter has grown like tremendously in the last sort of month. The must reads newsletter. Okay. And it's been recommended by other newsletters. So people come in and then it's the first interaction. Is that organically? Uh yeah, I don't know whether I don't know whether it's organically or because of how Beehive uh are taken on their recommendation engine but as um, opposed to you reaching out and, and doing like sponsorship or um, yeah exactly yeah it's organic anything. okay uh, it's like product driven so but if you, it's the first interaction with a, with the newsletter they don't yeah. have a way to to not do it unless you put ratings on it but this person has been on a newsletter for a long time so i don't know whether they hate read it every week which people do hate <laughs> view youtube channels or hate listen to podcasts um but what yeah what, what what what's that yeah there's there's hate viewing right so there might be someone that you really dislike but you watch every week so like their vlogs or you might watch um so this happens a lot with joe rogan there's a lot of people that hate listen or hate watch joe rogan okay because of the topics he, he comes up with so because it's fast and you know intellectual most of the time some people just dislike him but are obsessed with the content and what he's going to say so for everyone you know like jordan peterson or the paul brothers or you know call call me daddy or call her daddy on spotify and all of those people will hate listen or hate watch just to try and like cancel them so they'll try and pick something they've said <laughs> I to try and, and find something to exactly but this also happens now, right? Is you subscribe to something, and then you, it's so easy now to make a mistake. And that's something I was that one of the tips I was going to give is you're going to make a mistake, you're going to say something yeah. or spell something wrong, and someone's going to take take it offensively. So it's up to you, really, as the as a creator to to take that on board and take the good with the bad, or or you know use it as the. <laughs> whether you want to use it or delete it or use it as fuel for the next newsletter or video that you create. What, what, so what's in all honesty, what was your reaction when that person gave you a one out of 10? Did you laugh it off or were you fuming? Funny enough, because it's too click, there's enough friction for them to have clicked the wrong one. So I was like, <laughs> Oh, you know, I deliberately put five stars at the top because I know how it works. Yeah. So you get more five stars, but because there's two clicks to do it, they obviously meant it was one star so the first thought was hey i i don't mind confrontation as in i don't mind trying to get better feedback so I, the system i knew who did it but for me it, it was more anonymous so I, I know that they wouldn't have wanted me to reach out and say hey I, you didn't love my content what was up 
Oh, you know who it is? Yeah, yeah just because the way the, the systems, the tools work, work for you. And is it someone you know? It's someone who I've known of and worked in the similar industry for, for two decades. So I know we know of each other pretty well. Which, which probably three years ago, I would have taken that as a, a really big knock. Yeah. And I would have been like, oh, what is it? And I would have re- had to rethink everything. Whereas today, must read has been going for such a long time that actually I, I, I'm going to have to take, take it the rough with a smooth. Yeah. Whereas on leaders' letters, when I've got people from Amazon, Meta, um, the World Bank, etc., that are on there, the feedback's almost more constructive, or it should. I feel it feels like it should be more constructive because it is yeah. highbrow and niche. Fair enough. It's funny. I mean, like you know, we talked about monetization and content a minute ago, and it's kind of the same thing comes around with trolling, right? There's, got this weird uh, section of society that thinks that content should be free and not only should it be free but you can say whatever the hell you want Hmm. anonymously with no kind of uh, recourse or it's kind of strange like where how because you know content creation is such a big big industry these days but there's not many industries where you get away with those two things it's funny. One out of ten. <laughs> oh, shouldn't laugh, really. Let's move on to the next question about analysis. How much analysis do you do on your on your newsletters? What's worked? What's not worked? Do you review? You know, review content is a learnings you get out of it. So, must reads more specifically. I know how many clicks they get, but also. I know that if I put a story at number one, the first one, yeah. it's anchoring by some more people click on it. So often yeah. I'll put my own newsletter from, from leaders that is up there because I know it get most clicks. So I do game it a little bit. And as I used to run a growth department, if I'm not doing it, I'm doing myself a disjustice. Yeah. But I'm like slightly, I'm positively obsessed about the performance of it. So if it drops or the open rate tanks, I ever know that it's a, um, an email delivery problem or I know I've put something that a lot of people disagree with or the subject line's bad basically. Yep. Um, but also that I know not to obsess over it as in that badly obsess over it because if I was doing it and paying for growth, yep. it's hard and expensive and even the serious media companies are spending a lot of money on it at the moment and especially on paid performance. So I do look at numbers, open rates, click throughs, um, and then I look at sub rates, so subscription rates. So more recently, it's gone, you know, it's rocket ship. It's gone up to the right, almost on both newsletters, but more specifically on must reads. And what's really interesting is I haven't really done much to push it other than I've become, I've tried to brand it a little bit more and that's the activity I've, I've tried to do. How much of that goes down to, you mentioned it earlier, <clears throat> and I know we've spoken about this offline how much of that is based upon you changing platform to Beehive? So I think there's two sides of it. There's the delivery aspect. I was having problems with Substack. And for anyone who's unfamiliar with newsletters, basically you're only as good as the platform you send it via. Yeah. The IP address, if it's warm, so basically it means if loads of other people are on it and it's getting opened a lot and all the signals that your audience are given to those platforms. 
which basically means if people are opening it and reading it, it's great. If they're not, the likelihood is you'll be filtered into other or promotion or social on, on Gmail or other on Outlook. Yeah. And then Yahoo, for instance, they'll they'll overly aggressive in putting you into spam or into junk if a lower proportion of people open it. So you have to yeah. be really careful. So that was one side of moving. The other side was Substack are, are great as in they're trying to be more than a newsletter platform, which is great. But then they're tailoring to the 1%, so the top 1% yep. as opposed to the rest of us. And despite being on Substack since they like launched, it wasn't really being a promote, uh, a product that was improving for everyone. It was just improving for the 1%. So that's why I decided to move. And also the analytics were pretty stagnant on, on it and I wasn't really growing. But as soon as I moved to Beehive, it, it grew. The delivery was much better. Um, okay. And again, that's just based on how the, the platform's built and how great Beehive have been in understanding the, the 99% problem as opposed to the 1% you know, and what creator you, problem. Because it's a paid-for platform, isn't it? Or they have a freebie as well. So I'm on the... Yeah, I'm a freebie uh, to, to give them some uh, brand prop. I'm a freebie, but it you can do it for free, forty nine or sixty nine pounds a month, and <coughs> it, it scales. So the more audience you have, the different scale it becomes. So the price increases, and then depending yep. on the price, depends on the features you get. Okay, so you're happy with Beehive? Yeah. So like, I could give some tips for people that want to listen. So if you're really thinking of becoming a newsletter. Um, creator or curator is yeah. really focusing on brands like make the newsletter stand out because basically you're just a program on live tv you're just another program so you have to give people a reason to tune in so yeah. whether that's like the branding of your newsletter that you have a voice that you're opinionated and things that you do try or you don't want people to to try out be something more be like consistent the amount of people that tell me that consistency is the reason why they stick with me is like they know it's coming every Friday morning. So the way I explain it to people is be that live sporting event that you actually tune in for on TV or that like live TV show that you don't want to watch. Eight hours later, it's the live live performance. Um, and just be basically be confident and really understand the your community. So if you've got an audience and you want to turn it into something more, be really confident in who you are and what you're about and stick to yeah. it. You can experiment, but the further away that you become, the harder it is for them to stick with you. And you'll find your one or ten, a hundred or a thousand fans or super fans that devour everything you put to get like you put together. So they're the sort of the, the top tips I'll give on 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 that sort of side. I think that consistency one is is killer. Like it's amazing how many and I and I am as guilty of this as as anyone. Like I, I look back at some of the projects. I think we might have talked about this before. Like some of the projects I've started in the past, and where they would be now, had I have just like carried on. But you're right. It, you, you think that you're not. We all think we're special, and we all think that we're not going to be like falling for this consistency and regularity. But we do, and it almost becomes like a muscle memory. I know that there's two emails I get on a Friday morning at 7.30 and you're one of them. And a shout out to the upshot who's the other one. But my mind now knows that they're coming every every Friday 
and I've even got to the point where I don't know, cause I've got kids, I'm up early and whatever, and I'll be looking at my phone waiting for it to come in, which is insane, really, when you think about it. But I do. When I like I studied right, and part of the stuff that I do outside of the newsletters and you know some of the failed podcasts that I've had is some of the stuff that I've done is is really over analyze how creators work and why they deliver it and there's some amazing media companies that overthink it and have gone to like lengths of testing so you know I run uh, a marketing department that had 25 million people in the database and send an email and you have to be meticulous about when you sent it and the language you use etc so the morning brew the skim the hustle these are all like daily emails or you know four to five times a week emails mm. and they want to be the first thing that you think of when you're on the toilet in the morning it's like yeah. their their section of the time that they want and how the chinese apps are built is all based on time so the reason why i deliver at 7 30 is most people that are going to work will be on the commute probably or parents yeah. have, have been have that time window where they can do the stuff with the kids and then have their own slot of time. Yeah. And the reason why I say it's in five minutes is because most people, the max time that they have doing something without being interrupted is, is it around five minutes. So, you know, mine's so engineered did, to a point. Did you test different times then? Have you, have you looked at that? So I've done uh, midnight. Friday straight away like the first thing midnight because I've got US Australia and the UK are my, my primary areas yeah so I did midnight and that bumped up in performance but then the UK it was getting lost in the UK which is primarily my audience I've yeah. tested 6 and 6 30 a.m 7 30 and then 10 and 7 30 is probably there's a bit of uh bit of bias in there but 7 30 is the best performing can you can you not segment based upon location you can and you can't certain tools will do it for free others won't um okay. most of the newsletter ones won't do it without you paying okay. or you can do you if you're clever you can set up a b or abc tests and send it yeah, at yeah. certain times but for me if it's if it is as good as i i'd hoped it to be then people will read it to, regardless of where they are yeah is there anything you struggle with or find tough when it comes to newsletter production? Yeah, for me, it's, if you obsess around the audience and it doesn't grow, that's something that I think everyone gets hurt by. Uh, I struggled to grow it for years, to be honest. There's like 2020 to 2022 was really tough to grow it. And it, obviously right. there was a lot of things going on, but that was really tough. And although I don't over obsess around subscriptions, I'd rather have it for a hundred than a hundred thousand. But I want people to look forward to the content. So, you know, that I want people to want to, you know, read it or print it off as a PDF and go away and, and read the analysis. Yeah. Uh, f finding stories can be quite tricky that people will want because it's so broad. It isn't super niche. Then because I try and break through what's a theme, which is, you know, one to five years impact as opposed to a trend that's like just overnight or or this week. It's kind of difficult to find something that will apply to a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a million people. So trying to find that can be quite difficult. And also uh, in 2020 to 2022, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with it, to be honest, because I found right. it a slog because everything had a negative undertone. And because yeah. the amount of co content I consumed to put it together, 
if everything's negative it can also you know influence your, my own mood which i didn't want so they're like three sides and then the other side of it's more like mechanicals so it's like the algorithmic filtering which really annoys me which means that emails the email inbox stuff so yeah so outlook yahoo google mail they'll put you into the other inboxes really quickly and that kills your reads and then your, your deliverability so however good your content is you're being filtered out so it's the same on you know on social networks it's just email filtering people don't talk around as much well it's interesting you say that danny because obviously there's a lot of stuff going on about platform risk right everyone's talking about um twitter throttling content same with linkedin and everyone anyone who works in marketing will have heard some derivation of the of this thing you know get an email list because you own it but you're right no one talks about that platform risk in email and about the the spam folder and about the promo folders and the rest of it but it's a real thing isn't it yeah and imagine the way i explain it to people is say you had 100 people because it's easier for maths yeah. um if there were 100 people on it at any one time really good open rates are like 30 percent to 50 percent no one hardly anyone ever gets above that but most okay. frequently you're lower than 30 percent but there's like that window between 30 and 50 percent that you might get so i'm on 43 percent open rate which is good so people choose 43 percent of the time to open it basically yep. but say it's 100 people you're only ever really going to get it delivered to say 90 90 to 99 percent of them and then 30 percent of those will open it so although you own it you're still being throttled in a way because of people choosing it proactively choosing to open it or it went into another <coughs> inbox that week which then means that they they don't have chance to open it or they didn't yeah. look at it or they just think you didn't send it so it works against you but i'd always say to people if you've got a podcast or you're doing youtube try and get those email addresses and then send email because when i had podcasts that i knew that that the open rate was massive like it was, yep. it was really good and it really helped the podcast grow and then the best hack i ever had was add it to linkedin as a new job and then i had loads more people subscribe to it and then therefore more listeners right but yeah what you what people seem to forget is that email is really is really disposable for a lot of people, especially on their own, like Gmail or, or Yahoo. So you, mm. you fight against so many other things. YouTube's far more um, specific, so you can turn on the notifications, but most people don't. So yeah, yeah I'd say that if I was ever going to give anyone a recommendation, if you're going to do a newsletter or, or create your own content, always have something that you feel like you could reach out to them individually to invite them. Yep. You, you mentioned something a minute ago about open rates. And I wondered what your view was on how you go about improving that, testing that, working out what is good. You can, if you were to do it at scale, so as a company, you change the the type of delivery, the IP address, the you do subject line A B tests, which means you send a percentage to one, a percentage to the other. And if you have an emoji in it, it used to lift your uh, open rates up. Basically, people, it, yeah, it would appear it stand out in your inbox. Um, but if you wanted to increase that now, it's about people opening it more, having better signals to those platforms to getting people to open it more often. So some people do a resend, which I don't personally don't recommend because it can impact you and can cost you money. 
Is that where is that where you? Because I, I get that every now and again from certain people. Where it's like, oh, you didn't open this email, so I'm sending it again. Yeah. Presumably, or, oh, something, something might have happened. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't think that's a good tactic. If you're at a scale, then and you don't mind spending money, then that's a way that you can do it. Yeah. I've never had success doing it from a personal perspective. From my news, it's obviously professionally, it's different. Personally, I've never seen the benefit. I've never benefited from resending. If anything, it impacts it because people have, might have actively decided not to open, and they're going to ignore you a second time. Yeah. Therefore, you're going to drop like a out. Self-fulfilling prophecy, almost, isn't it? Yeah. So, to give so, you another example, so what a lot of other people do is they they'll send a daily email, and then they'll send a recap on Fridays or Saturdays, and it's a yeah. way to keep that engagement. Um, but that's you know if you're bigger you can do that if you're smaller I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily recommend it but you know I, I if you you know I dive into it really quickly like the professional creators the people that are doing it for a living yeah they there's like seven things that they do so the first thing was is have strong content but have personality so that's what people buy into is the personality inside of the content right and then yeah. they do it via a newsletter or or YouTube or or other but then they add a service so they add like a podcast or a youtube channel or shorts to try and yeah. capture your, your attention far more then they attempt to build what community which is based on chat apps generally so slack telegram discord whatsapp they build into it and it's, it can be invite only or it can be like those people that, that join yeah then it's like a paid component so they go from paid and then they add value really quickly so whether that's access or exclusive content they they release it and then it's growth right so it's collaborate to expand or cross promote to expand yeah and then they and then if they're big enough they do in-person events so a lot of this is it sounds overkill but it might inspire people to either do more or or be smarter about what they do and you know that's based on you know the the top percentage of of creators that do it and move from you know doing it for a passion into into getting paid it's funny so that, i mean that's basically the playbook right for for doing work newsletter. there was one i one i subscribe to i get every day the daily one and you've just i'm assuming from researching people like them they they are doing exactly everything you just said yeah I'll share a list of all the really good ones that I recommend to anyone, whether they're niche or a little bit broader. And they're they're really good newsletters for people to sign up for, especially if you're interested in the craft. They're really yeah. good for people to, to sort of sign up for or read anyway. Um, okay. Have you ever, have you ever thought about packing it in? The the newsletters. What's the writing of newsletters, yeah. I thought about turning one of them into a TikTok. And just creating it as a TikTok channel because you could probably talk it through and then you'd probably build a bigger viewership. Which one? But I think that's super disposable. Must reads is, is the one okay. that's most applicable. But I don't Does it have I, does it have does it have to be one or the other? No, but there's only there's only a certain amount of hours you could you could do it. Plus I'm s I've got a perfect I'm a perfectionist with my own stuff, although uh I'm not sure I could spend hours in CapCut for, you know, a three minute video that might get a hundred views and then one might blow up for the wrong reason. I don't think I'm prepared yeah. for uh TikTok hate hate 
comments. <laughs> You'll be rating your TikToks one out of ten. It might, yeah, it might exactly. hurt more. <laughs> um, if you could shadow one newsletter creator for the day, who would it be and why? Uh, ben Thompson from Shutekery. I'm going to say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why for the audience because Chris knows uh, is he has his own media network now really so it's a strategy based newsletter and he's now offering four to five podcasts bundled in um, and I've listened to so many of his podcasts where he talks around his company how he does it why he does it but I still think by shadowing someone as in spending a lot of time with them you start being able to think like them or thinking differently mm-hmm. to them so I think it's important to be able to do both is to to dive in or dive out of it. And I think Ben Thompson, because it is really niche and every tech leader list, you know, pays for subscription. They don't get it for free. I think it'd be really interesting because he he was one of the original people to, to go out on his own. But also integrate audio, which a lot of newsletter writers don't do. And he he's done really well. <clears throat> he's doing it to a really different level isn't he like he's I mean you mm. shared a lot of his stuff with me in the past and I I mean I, I consider myself quite um aware of a lot of content and, and creators and the rest of it but even I wasn't overly familiar with him but he's taking it like the, the stuff he's doing is just on a different level to 99.9% of other people right he the difference is he he was fortunate in the time he released but also very meticulous in how he's created his audience how he's marketed to different audiences and how people have shared his content because it's either really reflected in what they want or what they think or has really broken down in really complicated areas that other people have really struggled with and he's a one person band basically based uh, internationally and he still writes for the US audience so it just shows you the the level of detail that some people go into, but also how you can really niche down and, and be applicable to an audience that used to be really difficult to break into. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll, put, I'll put in the show notes, maybe that, that there's a couple of things you shared with me in the past that he's done. I'll put down a worth a listen for people. But yeah, he's an interesting guy. Um, if someone listens to this and they want to come and pick your brains and they, they, they want to email you or, or contact you on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever and they because they want to start their own newsletter, what would you tell them? Uh, eight things. So there's eight, eight things. things. Yeah. yeah. Right, so get me, get me chair. So it's create your own lane, don't be the same, but be different. So, you know, go at it yourself, find your own path or your own avenue. Go for the format that works for you. Don't is that just going back to it. point one? Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you and be a bad host. Is that easier said than done? You can people copy, but copying is difficult, right? So you can you can copy in my format, but being consistent over it and finding something that's interesting enough to a different audience is going to be difficult. So yeah. find something that's relevant for you, or you can you can have an opinion on, as opposed to you know rather than just have an opinion for an opinion's sake actually add value to the audience yeah so you know if i one of my goals is to get someone to guest edit must reads and see how well it does for the next year <laughs> but that could go horribly wrong for me it could go really well successfully for the newsletter it could go horribly wrong for me because it just m- might have a completely different audience a different 
level of connection, whereas they might be bored of my own stuff. Right? But I think you should be always be different. You can always be inspired, but choose your own path is how okay. I would explain it to people. Um, go for the format that works for you. Writing isn't for everyone and it isn't easy. I think it's probably the hardest form of, of creating. And just ask, ask any book writer that. It's really difficult. Yep. So if it's TikTok and short video, do it or YouTube shorts. Or if it's longer form, do it. Or or if you want to do audio notes, which I'm, I've always thought about doing, do it. If it's a podcast, try and do it. It's really hard. Get past that magic eight number and then then, yep. then you can you can go through it. Building your audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Building your audience is 8% of the job. Yep. Find the right tools to help you. The tools that I use probably might not help other people. And uh, there's a million tools out there, so find the tools for you. Making mistakes is part and parcel of what you do, so just either own it or embrace it. Find people like you can co-partner with or co- co-brand or partnership with. I don't do this enough, but I know that it really helps other newsletters. Uh, don't do two, two newsletters a week. It isn't sustainable for most people. Some weeks I struggle, and that's you know, and that's why I dedicate a lot of time for it. What, and then what about daily newsletters? Oddly enough, I think it's probably that might be slightly easier if you if you were to do it every day, because okay. you get into a rhythm and a pattern. Whereas I think if you do two very different newsletters, it can be quite difficult to to flip between the two or stick with a tone that you've decided to write with. Yeah, yeah. And just a last tip, competition is healthy. What do you mean by that? So you're going to get people who compete with you, but actually use it to inspire you or to challenge you to improve as opposed to um, get put off that they've got a big audience. Who who do you compete with? Uh, sleep and the Netflix <laughs> way of doing it. No, uh, in all honesty, I think I like personally I compete with every different channel, right? So I compete with your email, your WhatsApp. You know, if yeah. you wanted to watch, you know, the latest F one thing on Netflix, I'll compete with that because I'm stealing time away from other things. Yeah. So I'm only a notification away from being ignored. So for me, competition is is everyone, but that's my product, like you know, product person heads headspace. No, I, you know, I, I think that's a a theory that you talk about there that is is often overlooked in a lot of things. Is actually, you know, you break the day down into minutes or whatever. Every minute is a competition, whether it's your newsletter, whether it's I don't know your kid, or whether or not it's whatever it is. And it's interesting. I mean, we've both got marketing backgrounds, but often a lot of people talking marketing about your competition will be brand X or brand A, or but it's not actually, is it? In in the content world, it's every, you're right. I think everyone is is uh, the competition because you just get into the point where I did it the other day. I do it all the time. I open up a thing on my phone browser. And then the notification will come through and then I'll go and look at whatever it was. And then I'll come back to the Safari browser and I, for the life of me, I can't remember what I was going to search yeah. for all the time. That's the funny thing around tabs as well. I know this is a broader theme, but your tabs, if you're, and if you're curious, you've probably got like 50 tabs open and you probably wouldn't remember the, the third tab in that one reason why you had it open. But that's the, I'm that's the, you compete against all of those and you're competing against a text message or 
you know, a, a WhatsApp from one of your friends or, you know, group chats or people complaining on, on another channel. Yeah. Kind of mad, isn't it? Do you think, like, just finishing up on that, you know, if someone came up to you question, do you think there's still room in the market for someone to start a successful newsletter today? Yeah, I think there's always there's always opportunity for people and I think you're only one share away from blowing up really in still in yeah. the way that the internet works today. So I think there definitely is like and I think there's an outlet for everyone. It's just everyone's a content creator. They like they're creating content whether that's at work, um, an email or on WhatsApp or what have you. So they're already doing it. So, you know, I I've got a framework that I tell people when they ask me and it's EIE, which is uh entertainment inspiration education so if you can fit into those and say and know which one you fit into i think you you've got an opportunity and then whether that applies to a newsletter podcast short video presentations which is something that i love creating um or if you know if it's your preference you know something like only fans if you if you've got a niche um that works in there as well so um and then there are three types of content in my mind. It's timely. So, you know, the world we live in is is right now. There's time-sensitive content. There's timeless posts, you know, which are like updates that anyone can go back years down, you know, years later and still find really useful. Yeah. And I just think you have to decide what you're most applicable to and build the associating audience. And then you can be successful. So it doesn't have to be a newsletter. It could be a podcast, YouTube. YouTube's hard now. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the sort of way that I look at it. Okay. If we spoke again in twelve months and you considered that it'd been a successful year for must reads and or leaders' letters, what what would have happened? I think I'd have found a long term sponsor for must reads. So a brand that I'd really want to sort of highlight um and showcase on there every week. I'd have one to two consultancy or advisory gigs. So that's something that I think is really important. Like I, I'm a coach, so like I love coaching. It's like what I get all my energy from. So it'd be one yep. to two coaching gigs. Uh, leaders letters would be grow by like 25%. But it's surprisingly hard when you've got a newsletter for leaders. They don't want to share it because it, they have to admit that they're, they're signed up for one and B that they might actually not, they'd be copying someone else's ideas. Or I didn't think frameworks. you were going to say that. I thought you were going to say they didn't want to give your tips away to other other leaders. Well, is that? It? But I think it's admitting the, that they're on there and they're getting help from a newsletter, which I've had have had some feedback on. Um, have you really? That surpri- really yeah. surprises me. You say that. It's my dirty little secret. Is one that I get a lot. Is you know, it's my it's my uh, guilty pleasures you know, stuff like that. I've had feedback on leaders' letters. Is is something that they how they think and how they interact with it or the way that they consider it so they wouldn't some people will share certain frameworks because it's a framework other people yeah. will share the buzzword bingo because it's fun and and interesting other people when it's really specific and gets down to like company culture or strategy other people just don't want to share that content i get that but it's really interesting uh, putting yourself in the readers or listeners or or you know your viewers perspective <coughs> I must really mess up with your growth hat on because that, does, that yeah. sort of changes the game, right? 
<laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap up there, Danny. And I, but I, I think I've got no doubt that Must Read is going to grow. Uh, well, I've I got no doubt they're both going to grow. They're very good le- newsletters. And hence me wanting to get you on here today. Where can, if anyone wants to A, come and say hi, or B, sign up to either or both of your newsletters, where should I be uh, linking to in the show notes? Uh, so I'm Danny Denhardt on every platform. There's only two of us in the world, so I'm easy to find or easy to troll. <laughs> and then if you want to, you know, there's a few places. DannyDenhardt.com is my, is my website. Um, and then mustreads.co.uk for the mustreads newsletter and then leadersletters.com will take you straight to the to the archive excellent danny thank you so much for your time this afternoon thank you very much for having me that was 10q interview with newsletter expert danny denhard if you made it to the end thank you i hope you enjoyed it i'm sure you did hence still being here feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10q interview everywhere you may look That's all from me for now. Make sure you subscribed or followed wherever you're listening to or watching this. And the next 10Q interview episode will be live in your feed very, very soon. Thank you. Bye.